0: You got your Bibles. Uh, turn to Luke chapter twenty-three, so I can get my brain screwed on right. And oh, by the way, the pastor's uh, daughter spoiled me pretty good this afternoon with a wonderful lunch, and I sure appreciated that. Um, how many? How many of you were uh, you not able to be here, or you just you weren't here in Sunday school? So, because that's when we started this. I want to get a feel. Raise your hand if you were not able to be here. Okay. That's not too many. Let me tell you real quick, the title of the message for today is uh, Straighten Up and Fly Right. It's a silly old song from World War II era from Nat King Cole. I'm not going to go through the whole crazy story again, but Straighten Up and Fly Right. And uh, we're giving you a history of, of everything, basically, in this message, the history of the whole creation of the world and where you are today in Kentucky, and how you got the Bible in Kentucky one day. You're not going to believe how this all ties together. But uh, the bottom line is, you were created straight as an arrow. And then uh, the serpent shows up, and he's, uh, he's crooked. He's a snake. You know, he fell already. He was straight, too, but he became crooked. And uh, he tempted our first parents, and they became crooked after they were created straight. By the way, I was thinking of this the other day. When God, I just read this morning, um, in my Bible reading, just this morning in the hotel, about Moses being commissioned to go to the uh, you know his people, right, in, in bondage there. And uh, he said, how are they going to listen to me? What do you got in your hand? He said, a staff. Staff was as straight as an arrow, wasn't it? He said, throw it down on the ground. And what happened to it? Became a snake. And then he picked it up and it became straight. That's just, That's a plan of salvation right there. That's how you were in Adam. You were straight, no sin. When you, you were in Adam, just like you were in your, your dad's DNA. My wife's father landed on Omaha Beach on June 6th in the second wave. I'm glad he never got shot because my wife would have never been here. She landed on Omaha Beach and her daddy. But anyway, uh, so when Adam sinned and fell, he became a, a, a crooked human. And uh, you, were, you became crooked as well. And you're born, you're born crooked. Ephesians says you're born in, dead in trespasses of sin. And you, before you die, you got to get straightened out or you die crooked and go to hell and go, spend the eternity down there with the serpent and everybody else that's crooked. And you say, I never heard this before. Well, you never asked me. And so uh, <clears throat> the Lord is going to come down here and, and redeem this world. And he, he he does so when he shows up at Bethlehem's manger. Manger, he's as straight as an arrow as well. I find no fault in him. Pontius Pilate would say after three after his three year ministry on the earth. Right? And there was no sin in him. We know all that. So he was straight as he could be. That's the only person that could redeem a crooked serpent, crooked snake. See, again, we're just reviewing hit, hitting high points that we spent a whole Sunday school lesson on. Can't do that now. But the key verse is over there in Genesis, uh, uh, John eight forty four, where Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. What do they say over in Matthew 23? He called those Jews a generation of vipers. See? Well, you know, you, you may not be as evil as those Pharisees, but in God's eyes, you were just as lost as they were when you come into this world. And you pass that age of accountability, brother, and you're in bad shape. You need a new birth. You need a new father. Your father before you got saved was the devil himself, neighbor. Maybe you don't realize all that. But a lot, a lot going on to get you saved. So we said all that, uh, and uh, that's where we kind of left off uh, after the, 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 the service was over. Now, you got your Bibles open to Luke 23. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word, give you like a seventh inning stretch here. Just read a couple of a uh, couple of chapters here. A couple of verses. Um, don't laugh. You'll be old someday. Blah blah blah. Uh, I'm trying to. Blah blah blah. So why do you say blah blah blah? Well, if you were here this morning, you remembered. Everything comes in threes. Talk to me. Blah blah blah. Okay. All right. Um, Two verses, verse 44, and it was about the sixth hour, <clears throat> and there was a darkness. See that, a? Not a normal darkness. Special darkness. Well, what kind of, why would it be special? Read the rest of the verse. Over what? All the earth until the ninth hour. That wasn't just dark at the cross. It was dark over the entire globe for three hours. Right. Amen. Father, I pray that you'll bless us now. And help us to be edified and get, draw closer to you. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I am trying to find something from Isaac Watts. Yeah, Here it is. He's one of my favorite hymnists, Isaac Watts. And he wrote something here. You all remember it. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Isn't that beautiful? All right, now, why did it get so dark there for three hours? Well, because God didn't want anybody to see what was going to happen. That's why. He drew the shades down here on earth so the humans couldn't see anything. But he also drew the shades in heaven, total darkness. Why? Because 1 Timothy 3.16 tells you that Jesus was seen of angels. They were watching every every move he made ever since he left heaven. What did he tell Pilate? I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted them. But he didn't. But even they weren't about to see what took place in that horrible darkness. See, what, what, what happened in that darkness? All right, the background for what happened in that darkness is what happened over in the book of Numbers when those Jews, those crooked Jews... were uh, murmuring as usual, and God got tired of it, so he sent down fiery serpents. That's what they were in their unredeemed state as a nation. They were of their father, the devil, and that's what the Lord told those Jews generations later. And those serpents bit those people, and they were poisoned and they were dying. They finally yelled out to Moses, help us, help us. Moses called on to God and God said, okay, if they're in a mood to repent, here's what you do. Go get you a brass pole and get you a brass snake and hammer it onto that pole and curve it around that pole like you see in the medical industry tonight. That serpent on a pole, you ever see it? And tell those dying Jews they're in no shape to crawl to the pole to even touch it but if they'll just look at that snake on that pole they'll be made straight from their crooked condition one day a 15 year old boy was trying to get to his own church in london it was a bad snowstorm and he couldn't make it believe it or not his father was the pastor of the church he might have been out of town if i remember the story right But this 15-year-old boy, he's not even saved, but he was conscientious, and and he wanted to go to church. And he couldn't get uh, to his own church because of this terrible blizzard, but he wouldn't quit. He kept on going down a side street and found a Methodist church. The church's father pastored was a congregational church, but both of them are baby-sprinkling churches. And uh, he went into the congregational church. They both preach in the gospel. But uh, they, they're not Baptists where they're mercy people. But anyway, he got into this other church that happened to be open. There were only nine people there. The pastor himself didn't make it in because of the storm. But he sat down off to the side and uh, just, to, you know, feel like he was doing his responsibility. And uh, a, 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 well, we don't believe in lay people as Baptists, but a layman got up, a church member, they said he was a tailor or a tanner. They don't even know what he was doing. But he got up because the show must go on, and he got up to, to try to preach because nobody the preacher wasn't there. Well, they said he ran out of soap after about 10 minutes, and that acute expression, preacher, ran out of soap. You know, he just did all he could, and he didn't know what else to say, but he saw, boy, this is scary. He got people all over the place over there. I don't care as long as they got guns. Say amen right there preacher said women all over the congregation got guns. I, I passed it up in Idaho. We had truck drivers, elk hunters, lumberjacks. We had some men in the church, too. Say amen right there. But uh, anyway, the, 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 the guy just looks over at the young boy sitting over there, and he didn't know what else to say. And he said, young man, you look miserable. That young man would later write in his own two-volume, 2,000-page autobiography, Well, I did feel rather miserable that morning, but I wasn't used to having my looks pointed out in public. He said, but it was a good blow. Struck home. And then that man looked at him with a bony finger and he said, young man, you've got nothing to do but to look and live. Look and live. That young man would later write, I looked and I looked and I looked until the chains fell off and the scales fell off my eyes and I saw Jesus. And he got saved that morning. There's a plaque in that building, 150 years old. It's still standing at the very spot where that 15-year-old boy was seated. Went home, started reading his Bible, and two months later he realized he needed to get dunked. He'd been sprinkled as a baby with his pastor father. Got up two hours early one morning, read his Bible, and prayed. Does that sound like many 15-year-old people you know today? Got up and read his Bible for two hours and prayed. Then he walked nine miles to meet a Baptist pastor that he had made arrangements with. To dunk him in a pond. Nine miles away. Then walked nine miles back. Burst in. Tell his mother all about it. It was his mother's birthday. He was so excited. She said, ah Charles. When your father and I prayed that you'd become a Christian. We did not pray that you'd become a Baptist. And young Charles Spurgeon said, Mother, God has answered your prayer with his usual bounty, giving you exceedingly abundantly above whatever you asked to pray. <laughs> Two years later, he was pastoring his first church with no Bible college, 17. Two years after that, he took a second church, preaching to 5,000 people as a teenager, every Sunday for 30 years. Look and live. That's what the hymn says. You know where that all comes from? It comes from that Deal in the wilderness. Look and live. Look at that serpent on that pole and you'll be healed. I turn over to John chapter 3 real quick. Remember, we're starting off talking about that darkness, right? Say, uh, well, well, why did the, think about this. I I never thought about this thought until just this split second. Hey, man, he he was up there at 9 o'clock. They didn't have any problem with them. For six hours, everybody looking at them up there, isn't that something? It just dawned on me. But for the last three hours, something was going to be different that nobody could see. Ain't that something? Well, you want to know what might have been going on up there? Why don't you let the Lord tell you? John chapter 3. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Look at verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life Lord said if you want to know what's going on in that dark just go see what Moses did with that pole You see listen neighbor he had to take our place and we were basically serpents because our fathers a serpent What does that mean preacher well I guess he'd have to be he'd have to become a serpent so we could be freed from being a serpent Turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. There's nobody in this room has to believe this. This is what some of the old-timers used to believe. Some still do, but most don't. Most folks are just more interested in how many stupid likes they have on their phones from the video of a duck pushing a or a squirrel pushing a beach ball down the shore with his nose. You know, I still only got six likes. You know, I'm going to commit suicide. Psalm 22 is the greatest uh, Old Testament passage next to Isaiah 53 for an Old Testament prophecy of the Lord's passion, right? Two best chapters you'll ever show a Jew, Psalm 22 and Psalm, Isaiah 53. Look at uh, Psalm 22:1. 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You've read those words before. That's the Lord on the cross, right? Look over here at verse um, 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potshirt, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Remember our Savior said, I thirst. And thou hast brought me into the dust. There you go, neighbor. Remember the dust? The dust of death. For dogs, Gentiles, have compassed me, surrounded me at the cross. And the assembly of the wicked... Have closed me. Put your seatbelt on, neighbor. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now this is about 100 BC. There was no crucifixion used then. The Greeks introduced it, and the Romans perfected it. But there was no crucifixion at that time for them to even appreciate this. What's wrong with lottery tickets, preacher? They part my garments. Verse 18, or verse 17, I may tell. Can you tell the stars, Jeremiah said? It's an old word for count, T-E-L-L, count. I can count all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Okay, so that's about as good a chapter as you'll get on the crucifixion. But, But if you want to know about that darkness... There's one verse in the chapter that really applies to the dark time. Verse 6, but I am a what? A worm, and what's the next two words? An old man. You know what a worm is? It's a baby snake. What did, what did Isaac Watts say in that same same song we quoted a moment ago at the cross? For such a worm as I. You come into this world as a worm, a little a little snake. You got that image from your father, Genesis 5.5. 5. Adam's sons and daughters were made in his likeness after he fell. He was created in God's likeness. We have, to, we, we have to get that likeness back or we go to hell forever. So basically, in order to save you as a serpent, the Lord had to become a serpent. At least he said, look, as Moses lifted up the serpent, even so I have to be lifted up that same way. Hey, you know what the best case scenario is for this? With every sin that's ever been created, sinned in the entire world, from Adolf Hitler to everybody. Every sin, the Lord, on the Lord's record, he looked as dark as a snake, as the devil himself to God the Father. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is something might have happened to his very visage on that cross. You don't have to believe that. I'm just telling you what some old-timers believe. Hey, listen, neighbor. He didn't take your sins. Listen now. He became sin for us. The sin was in him, not on him. Terrible, isn't it? Look and live. Now, however, the Jewish nation refused to be straightened out by the blood of their Messiah. Moses predicted that way back in Deuteronomy. They have corrupted themselves, Deuteronomy thirty two, five. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Now all I want you to understand is listen all you going when this is when this little study is over, you're gonna understand three words beautiful, crooked, and straight. And we talked about that this morning. Straighten up and fly right is the theme of the message. But praise the Lord, the Jews, because of their fall, that became our opportunity. John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We can have that spot of his children Deuteronomy 32.5 talks about, by getting another father, our heavenly father, and dumping our satanic father, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, you understand, if the Jews had, had embraced the Lord, and, and, and uh, you wouldn't even have been here. That thing would have wrapped up there in the first century probably sometime, and it, you wouldn't even have been here, nor would I. But they, they fell. And we get to come into this world and get saved ourselves as part of something totally different. The body of Christ, not the nation of Israel. That Jew is on hold for the moment. God will go back to dealing with him after he pulls us out of here at the rapture. Okay, turn to Acts chapter 13 real quick. Acts 13. So, that Jew is going to reject the gospel and he's going to reject them several times. The Lord is going to bring up a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. You know about him. And he's going to be called to go to the Gentiles because that Jew won't listen. But God's going to give that Jew three little chances to turn them down. Three strikes and you're out. You ever heard that expression? Everything comes in threes. And, and Paul, trying to reach those Jews, he gets, he gets snubbed three different times. And each time he gets snubbed, then he turns around in that locale and reaches after Gentiles and, and they're willing to listen to it. <laughs> Look at Acts 13. This is a progressive movement. Look at Acts 13. By the way, you know what's going on right now? This is more of study than preaching. And preaching's incredibly important, isn't it? But that book says, study to show thyself approved unto God. And studying is like this look, it takes work to study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Buy the truth and sell it not. You look at that painting back there for the cover of this book. This is a scene from Acts 27, the shipwreck of Paul. And that ship on the cover is a picture of a uh, real Roman grain ship. That's what Paul was on. They were bringing grain to Rome out of Alexandria, Egypt. They ran those ships around around the clock on schedule. That was their Obama money in the Roman Empire, free bread. You watch this movie, Gladiator. They're throwing loaves of bread up to the pagans up in the stands, you know. Luke said, we cast the wheat into the sea. And uh, that's what the ships even look like. They've been discovered. They got a swan head for good luck for the, you know, the superstitious seamen. But uh, listen, that was for uh, welfare for, Ob- uh, for Roman empires that's collapsing. There's no Obama money with God. Buy the truth, it says, and sell it not. You get some extra good truth. And by the way, this is what you call a special meeting. That's why special speakers here with some special material to get special results. Your pastor can't bring this kind of message to you on a normal Sunday. He's too busy wiping your nose and changing your diapers. That's what a pastor's doing, blocking and tackling, meat and potatoes every week. And then some of us guys come in with stuff the Lord hasn't even heard of yet. And we're here to, you know, charge up a little bit. So here you go, <clears throat> Acts chapter 13. Paul's over there in Asia. Look at Acts 13, verse 46. Just a couple of verses. Then Paul, he always, he's getting always getting rebuffed by the Jews. Watch it. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken to you. He's talking to the Jews. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy to everlasting life, look, lo, we what? Turn to the Gentiles. Now that's in Asia. Turn over to Acts 18 real quick. Paul's in Europe right now. Acts 18, verse 6. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, which house joined hard to the synagogue. Jews didn't want to hear it here either in, in Corinth, Greece, and Europe. And Cyprus, uh, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Um where am I at here? Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Oh yeah. Uh blah blah blah. Where did I go? What is it? This is like Pentecost, twelve people saying different things. Who? Eighteen six? I just said that, didn't I? Oh yeah, stay out of my preaching. <laughs> That's Jack Howell's famous line. Acts eighteen, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, 18.6. Okay? And when they op- and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. There he's turning a second time now. In Europe he's turning, right? Now run over to the last chapter of Acts, chapter 28. Now you know where he is. He goes to Rome, the capital of the whole world at that time, right? What those Jews do there? They weren't the least bit interested in Paul either. Look at verse number uh, twenty, uh, uh, verse twenty-seven. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with the heart, and should be converted that I should heal them. Look at verse twenty-eight. Never forget it. It's a salient verse. Acts twenty-eight, verse twenty-eight. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto who? The Gentiles, what? And they will hear it. Ain't that something? Now, you know what a Gentile is? You've got to learn something. Again, a good church like this has new people coming and going a lot. And, you know, all different levels of people here, correct? A lot of the folks in the South, you might be saved 40 years and bounce into this church and for the first time be, start learning your Bible, but you're, you're as naive and as and much of a neophyte as if you were a teenager. You might be 70 years old, never heard Bible teaching before. Got to think through this stuff. What's a, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. And any, any Jew that gets saved or any non-Jew that gets saved becomes a member of the body of Christ. How many? Everything comes in what? Threes. 1 Corinthians 10.32 Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the Church of God. You take that Bible like that, flip it through, put your finger in any page you stop at and read it. Whatever you're reading is being addressed to either a Jew, a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, or a saved Jew or Gentile, which is a, a Christian. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor, nor Greek, right? Okay, now watch this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 9. There there uh, there are there are three three lines lineage if you will of gentiles. Three kinds of gentiles in the world. Okay? When Noah gets off the ark, he's got three boys in the boat. Preacher, that make a good sermon, three boys in the boat. And with their wives, right? Ham, Shem and Japheth. And, uh, and they're up there at Mount Ariat, which is in Turkey. And, uh, and, and God tells them to, re- to uh, repopulate the earth. He's just wiped everybody out. We're going to get this thing started again, right? And, of course, uh, nobody moves right away. And then the next generation is still hanging around, goofing off. And after, after a while, the Lord gets tired of waiting, especially when they start building that Tower of Babel, right? Well, the Lord says, forget that. He comes down there and blows that thing into next week. And he sends, though, he scatters, changing their languages. He scatters Noah's three sons into three different directions, right? Now, you got your Bible open here? Look at Genesis chapter 10. I'm going to shock you with something here. No kidding. How do you know when a lawyer is lying? When his lips are moving. Say amen right there. Unless there's a Christian lawyer in here that is a big giver. Don't want to offend him, Amen. How do you know when somebody like me is uh, saying something profound? When my lips are moving, that's why. I don't know everything. That book on Israel back there, I hope you don't let that sit on the table. took me 18,000 hours to put that together, according to a time study. Six years, ten hours a day, so you could learn about modern Israel, right? So, when, when I get in here, everything I'm saying is profound. Everything I'm saying is profound, for good. So that's why you're listening so well. And that's my gift. That's my one gift. Hey, sit down back there. Sit down. A hundred heads turning. There's nobody standing up. I learned that from Jack Isles. Amen. That's crowd control. That's what I'm doing up here with these silly jokes. I'm holding your attention. What I mentioned, a little 15-year-old boy, Charles Spurgeon, that got saved. He, he became known as the Prince of Preachers. You know what they asked him one time? They said, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, what do you think should be done when people fall asleep in church? He said, somebody should wake up the preacher. That's my job up here to hold your attention, isn't it? Guy's falling asleep on the back row of service, and the preacher got mad. He yelled over to the guy sitting next to him, hey, wake that guy up over there. Guy yelled back at him, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. Say amen right there. <laughs> you know, I'd be Larry and Gary Eaton, two good preacher brothers over somewhere in Kentucky. I forget what part of, where, where they are. West Kentucky, I was preaching in their camp meeting one time, and we got talking about uh, Eutychus falling out of the window. And the one brother said, man, Eutychus too, if you had to listen to a three hour sir. <laughs> one of the deepest things I ever heard. You know what his brother said? Let me tell you what happened. He said to Eutychus, and this is deep. This is worth coming to church tonight just to hear this. This is not even an outline. My man Eutychus, right? You know why he fell two feet, I mean, two floors down into the alley and died? And Paul had to resurrect him? Rather than falling two feet into the living room where everybody else was sitting, you know? Maybe bump his head? Don't miss it, neighbor. Because he was more out than he was in. And every single person here, now, you sweet little number 44, right? Everybody in this room, I don't care who you are, you're either more out or more in this church. And if you're starting to lean out, you'll be all the way out pretty soon. By the way, the moral of that story is if you fall asleep in church, you'll be dead in no time. So, blah, blah, blah. Uh... When you get to, um, now, when you get to Genesis chapter number 10, this chapter used to be nicknamed the Table of Nations because it tells you where Noah's three sons, their descendants, migrated to. They went three directions. Now, if you'll read the whole chapter, it'll show you this, but I I got a surprise for you, I told you. The word ham means dark or burnt. Ham goes due south onto the continent of Africa. Uh, Shem goes due east and goes all the way around the globe. He's populating all the Oriental Asian world, comes all the way up into uh, Alaska through the Bering Strait, goes past Sarah Palin's house, comes down to North America, South America, Central America. Your so-called Native American Indians would descend back to Shem. And Japheth goes due north and hangs a left up in Russia and heads west. And populates the European theater. Now, if you've got a book here, I mean Genesis 10, look at verse 1. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And under them were born sons after the flood. Now, what, what the Holy Spirit's going to do is going to cover Japheth's descendants first, then, ha- then Ham's descendants, and then Shem's descendants, all through chapter 10. Just say who went where. It would drive you nutty to try to follow it now. And even go home, take a lot of study to follow it. But I told you I got a surprise for you. Look at verse 2. The sons of Japheth. He's got seven sons. Seven is God's divine number, isn't it? Check out number one, Gomer. What a name. Say amen right there. Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshesh and Tiras. Now, if you go to the little, they got, Schofield, the Schofield's got notes down there in the bottom of the page. The first note says, for, for Gomer, progenitor of the ancient Cimmerianians and Cimbri, from whom are descended, hello, the Celtic family. I tell a lot of Italian jokes, but I'm not Italian. I don't know how many people think I'm Italian. And it, Grady, hello, William Patrick Grady. That's Irish. That's, I'm Celtic. j is my ancestor. Okay, Now watch this. I told you I have a surprise for you. It's going to blow somebody's mind. I was in the Knoxville, Tennessee library researching when I was writing this book and the Holy Spirit impressed me to go pull a world book encyclopedia volume down. World book, secular city, right? Heathens. They wouldn't know the difference between j and Jay-Z. But, for in as far as a spiritual application, but they do know history and geography. Preacher, I, I took down the volume that said Noah and looked up Noah, and, and I, I couldn't believe what I read. I grabbed my camera and took a picture of the page. I wouldn't even reproduce it. I wanted you to see the exact picture. There it is. It's in dark shade because of that. And I even tell you the page number, 439. And this isn't World Book from 1926, you know. People were a little more conservative, maybe. It's 2022 edition. Can I tell you what heathen world book says? Noah's sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem became father of the Semitic peoples, including the Jews and the Arabs, Middle East, Near East, Far East. Ham was the father of the Hemetic peoples. Japheth was the father of peoples of Asia Minor and Europe. What are you going to say with that neighbor? Now, why is that important? Well, because God is a racist. He's a hate purveyor, hate monger. That's how the world would put it. So why is that? Go back to Genesis chapter 9. Because God gives prophecies about these three lines of Noah's descendants. And you want to get into a sticky wicket, the time will come when they will not endure. Remember that verse? A lot of Christians are scared of the Bible now. Because of the pressure that's put on you by politically incorrect people. Or politically correct people, see? And you back off. You don't have to back away from what the Bible teaches, especially if you get a spiritual insight, which I'm fixing to drop on you in about two minutes. It's going to bless your heart. That's what we say in Tennessee. I'm a southerner. Bless your heart. You know what the difference is between a a Yankee and a southerner? That's one of my fans right down here. The Toledo kid right there. (laughs) Hello. What's the difference? I married a girl from Virginia. I just preached in Richmond, Virginia, last Sunday morning. I know Southerners. Amen. I got a giant painting of Nathan Bedford Forest on my office wall in my house. I love, I love the South. What's the difference? A Southerner, and I, you don't know what you are, right? Kentucky's like <laughs> even crazy Tennessee preacher. I finally moved south to go to Tennessee when I left Indiana. I couldn't wait. to, And I go to East Tennessee. Then I found out why they're called the Volunteers. The, the whole South, I picked the wrong place. Half of the state went with the union, amen. COVID. <clears throat> what's, the, what's the difference between a Yankee and a Southerner? A Southerner can be patting you on the back while he's planning your funeral. Somebody say amen right there. Bless your heart. They don't call it the deep South for nothing. Say amen right there. You're making me nervous. What about a Yankee? A Yankee can walk into a cancer ward and say, what's eating you, bub? But they both need a little work, Amen. All right, neighbor, All right, what's the hate crime that God's guilty of? Brother, Brother Grady, you're a cool guy, but you bounce my brain around like a ping pong ball. I'm trying to follow you. you well, I'm keeping you off balance. That's very important. Uh, you ever heard of the three R's? Remember you old timers in school? Reading, writing, arithmetic. You know God's got his three R's. Don't forget, everything comes in threes. What do you mean three R's? How about one redeemer? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One redeemer or one redemption plan? Either way you want to look at it. Hello. Number two, one revelation. To spread that message around the world is the primary Bible in, in a language of the world. Anybody home? But don't miss this one. Hello. One redeemer, one revelation, and one race. To be the primary progenitor of that message. When's the last time somebody from Africa gave you a gospel track? I've been to Africa twice. Missionary work. I got all kind of pictures of me preaching a bunch of savages there in Uganda. and Kenya. A bunch of chickens coming into the service in one picture. When's the last time a Chinaman gave you a gospel track? I got a lady that's half Japanese. Sends me $500 a month. I just met her the other day for the first time in a year. I don't even know what she looked like. When's the last time an Asian person witnessed to you about the gospel? I'm not putting those people down, of course. Not for five minutes. God, his plan was for Japheth to get the gospel to the whole world, his own race, his own line, and his little brothers as well. You want to see the verse? Turn to Genesis 9. Most people know this verse, but they never pick up on the second verse. In other words, you know what I'm doing right here? I am giving every sincere independent Baptist in here the most unbelievable insight about the whole stupid race issue. White supremacy, white privilege. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of hearing that stuff 24-7. Do you, anybody ever heard of the Smithsonian Institute? One of the, one of the highest rated museums in our whole country? Well, do you know the other day they had a statement on their website? I read it. I think they took it down. It said, if you believe in the nuclear family, being punctual, using proper grammar, and about 10 other sane things, you are a systemic racist. I read that. Got it quoted in my book. I don't put stuff down unless I can back it up. This world has gone crazy. Okay? Okay. Now, would you like to see a scriptural explanation for all of this baloney? I've been saved 50 years next August. Next year I'll be saved 50 years. And I've never heard one preacher tell, I never heard one preacher say what I'm fixing to show you and what's in the core part of this book here. There's a Bible explanation for this if anybody cares. Look what God said he was going to do with Japheth's descendants. One verse. What's verse 27 say? Four words. God shall, what's the next word? Enlarge Japheth. Now, why is that a hate crime? Because he was going to do something with Japheth that he wasn't going to do with Shem or Ham. Shem or Ham never even got participation trophies. God said he was going to take Japheth and make him the big bopper in time. That's what he said he was going to do. <clears throat> you know... um, when I was about 16 years old, I was on a train in New York and Long Island going out to a reform school to visit my sister Lorraine, who was in a Catholic reform school, Madonna Heights. My brother, my big brother, was sitting next to me. His name was Gregory. He's half brother, same mother, different father. And next to him, he's sleeping, and I'm, I got a record player sitting next to me. A little, some kind of a portable battery-operated cheap record player, and I had a Beatles album on there, and I was listening to I'm a dweeb, 16-year-old Catholic kid. You know what I was listening to? How many of you old ex-hippies remember the song by the Beatles back in the USSR? Any ex-hippies remember that? <laughs> What's the matter with the rest of you Pharisees? Come on. You know what that song says? The first line of that song, Flew in from Miami, flew in, meaning into Moscow, flew in from Miami Beach, BOAC. What a terrible night we had, or something comes next, I forget. BOAC, okay? BOAC stood for British Overseas Airways Corporation, and that was the British airline controlled by the British government that flies all around the world to international sites, London to Tokyo, London to Rome, like that, right? London to Bombay, all international flights, right? Do you know that, that was in about 19, uh, That was about 60, 68. Anyway, 1972, four years later, after I sold those crazy cash registers to Jill Biden, I quit that company in Delaware, and went to New York to work for it. guess who? BOAC. What a quiinky dinky. I went to work for British Overseas Airways Corporation in Manhattan in 1972. Four months after I went to work for them, the airline changed. The British government took BOAC and merged it with a second carrier, BEA. BEA stood for British European Airways. That was the British-controlled carrier that just flew flew to European sites, London, Paris, London, Zurich, London, like that, just European places. What has that got to do with anything? Come, hold, you know me by now. I'm going somewhere. When that happened, they merged, and it became British Airways, which everybody in here knows. And British Airways at that time became recognized as the largest airline in the world, as far as airline route miles, where it flies to, right? It was bigger than Braniff, bigger than Pan America and all these other airlines that aren't even here anymore what's that got to do with anything? Hold on. That itself is a reflection of a very famous quote that any adult in this room has heard, most teenagers have heard. I'll start it and you finish it, ready? It came out in the 1920s at the height of the British Empire's expansion. And that quote says this, the sun never sets on the British Empire. What does that mean? The British Empire was so spread out around the globe that it was always daylight somewhere where a British flag was flying. It was always daylight somewhere. What's that guy doing anything? Ready? Get ready for a big shot. Listen, I'm a controversial guy. Hello, neighbor. It's a great fight, Mom, but we lost. I'm Johnny Cash. (laughs) Again, this is just stupid things to make you listen. I'm not stupid. i got two 900-page books back there. Go look at them. Again, don't mind me. I go through all this silly stuff every week someplace. That's because I love you and care about you, and I'm good at holding people's attention. And if you listen long enough, you'll learn something. Most preachers have never heard this stuff, and I'm not anything special. I couldn't do what he's doing, spending 30-something years in one church, losing two sons and a zillion other headaches. We're all different. We all got our calling, right? Well, well, I, well, you said you're controversial. Yeah, I believe some things I'm willing to stand up for. See that book? I believe that book could be the Word of God. Amen. How many of you believe it could be the Word of God? Amen. Do you have any convictions? What do you mean you think it could be? You know what I'm saying. I'm pulling your tail here to get you to think. Well, what's it got to do with anything, Brother Grady? Back to Oh, you need another joke. Uh, what's the most common expression you hear at an Italian funeral? Huh? If he'd only kept his mouth shut. Stay with me, neighbor, and we're walking. <laughs> Say, Brother Grady, this is Kentucky. I understand. Okay. Well, at least I got to do anything. The Bible could be true. Would God tell you what he was going to do with Japheth? God shall what? Enlarge Japheth. I don't know. Maybe he did it. Maybe you don't have to be ashamed for being white. Maybe God took your ancestors and changed the world with them, like he said he was going to do. I have a quote in that new book from Yale University. Watch now. Yale University is the top Ivy League school in the United States history. The top egghead in that school is still living. Look it up. His name is Paul Kennedy. Okay? He's got a book like this on world history. I'm going to quote something out of his book. You know what he said? He said by... Don't miss it. How you doing, kid? By 1914... European powers, in the Greek that means white people, white men. By, 18, by 1914, the eve of World War I, European powers controlled 84% of the globe. What, are you going to get mad at something that's accurate? The Bible could be true. God said he was going to enlarge Japheth, and he did. That's all there is to it. Now, you want to see something, but would you like to see the spiritual insight as to why he did it? Remember the three R's? Okay. Remember my brother Gregory on the Long Island Railroad? Would you like to see something to blow somebody's mind? Turn to Genesis 10. Genesis 10. Boy, this is important for you to get spiritual insights, to be a stronger church member here uh, for for the pastor, and for everybody's welfare here, especially you men, you men got to understand this stuff. Stand behind Pastor Muncie. Look at one verse here. In verse 21, we're talking about Shem's descendants. The chapter starts talking about Japheth's descendants, where they went. The next section deals with Shem's descendants, or Ham. Now we're dealing with Shem. Watch it. See verse 20? These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues and their countries and their nations. That's the concluding verse on the section where Ham's people are, are traced. Now we're going to trace Shem. Unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. Next statement the Holy Spirit gives you about Shem, the brother of who? What's the next two words? The elder. In chapter 9, Ham is called the younger son. Noah woke up from his drunk and realized, knew what his son, younger son had done unto him. Some terrible thing happened in that tent. But forget that for a moment. Japheth is understood always to be the firstborn. He's the elder. He's the oldest of the family. Any of you ever grow up with a big brother? Raise your hand. What did that big brother do? One of the things he's supposed to do is look after you. And your sisters, or, or you and your brothers, whatever, raise your hand. That's what a big brother does. When I was a little kid growing up in New York, my big brother, nobody messed with me. I mean, you know what nobody means in the Greek? Nobody on steroids messed with me. Why? Because my brother was crazy. <laughs> How crazy was he? Well, he burned a grocery store to the ground, for one thing. When he was 14, he was a delivery boy, Harry's delicatessen. And uh, I was standing out in front of Harry's one time and a pigeon hit my head. I dropped a dropping on my new hat. I just got it for church, a little Catholic church kid. And Harry's, deli- wasn't that interesting? Harry's delicatessen, my brother was a delivery boy with a, with a bicycle delivering groceries. Harry was a cheap tightwad and he ripped off my brother's paycheck time after time. My brother said, forget about it. He broke into the store in the middle of the night and burned the store to the ground. What? True story. Went to reform school. I could see my mother taking me to the old A and P's. Remember the A and P? We're buying them Colgate toothpaste. You know, a little care package. Of, you know, brown wrapping paper with the string. Any old timers in there We're mailing it off? Them? She told me he was in military school. You know, you know, he's up there with the Bowery boys, Hunts Hall, and. the... And then we're on the train now, right, going out to see my sister who's in reform school. My whole family was messed up. And, but uh, after that episode is over, it's gonna, he's going to have a terrible deal. He finds out his wife's fooling around with some guy. Her name was Terry, and he finds out who it is. He gets a thirty-eight pistol. And he started chasing that guy through the street. He caught up with him. The brother, the guy he's chasing, who's fooling around with my sister-in-law, he's got a brother that's a policeman in a particular precinct in Brooklyn. He's running Barney Miller Ministry. He's running into the building for protection, whether his brother's there or not. My crazy brother shoots him on the front step, and thankfully it hit him in the padding back here, and he didn't kill him. But then he chases him into the police station with the smoking gun in his hand. If I'm lying, may the Lord strike that pastor in the head. I'm not making up this stuff. You can't make up stuff like that if you live the kind of life I live. Some of you. And I leaned over to the preacher, didn't I, preacher? I said, you got some wild-looking dudes in this church (laughs) for good. I don't even think half these guys need to carry guns. But uh, my brother was like that, right? And I said, Gregory, what in the world did they do to you when you ran into the police station? He said, they beat the blankety-blank-blank out of me. ...with rubber hoses for 48 hours. He didn't say blankety-blank. I put that in there for your benefit. Then they sent him from there to Rikers Island... ...the worst jail in the United States... ...on East River... ...called the Tombs. And from there, they sent him to Sing Sing Prison... ...for three years. While he's in Sing Sing Prison... ...his his wife is fooling around with somebody else... and, ...and she gets murdered. And then he gets out of Sing Sing Prison... ...moves to Miami, Florida... Marries a Jehovah's Witness girl named Cookie. That's all I remembered her name was. And then, you know, good night, neighbor. Uh, he had some Cuban neighbors playing their salsa music too loud. He told them to shut their music off. They cussed him out through the closed door. So he went to his van and got a double-barreled shotgun, blew both arrows through the front door. I'll turn it off myself. Nobody was killed, but the police came on the scene, had a shootout, and uh, he basically committed suicide, they claimed. Terrible. Well, what has I got to do with the price of eggs? Because when he was alive, I could do anything I wanted in the neighborhood. Nobody would touch me with a ten foot pole. That's what a big brother is supposed to protect the little brothers. Is that right? You know what I read this morning in my Bible reading? In this morning. Just this morning in the motel about Moses at the well. Remember that when those Girls were trying to get the water, and them deadbeat shepherds came there and were hassling them. Moses drove them away. Remember that? That's what the big brother's supposed to do, isn't it? Can I tell you something funny I don't share with every church? My wife's my proofreader. I put stuff in my book. She, don't, she thinks it's too crazy. She, she'll take it out. She'll bawl me out over it. And if, I, and if I won't listen to it, she'll yank it out behind my back. I want to put something in there. I think I got away with putting it in there. Let me ask you a question. You all know that Jesus had four brothers? They're listed in Mark 6 by name. And his sisters are with us. He had at least two sisters. He could have had 20 sisters. Correct? Who was the oldest one in the family? Jesus. Let me ask you a question. They're growing up in Nazareth. You think it was possible that there were any bullies back then? Thinking human nature changes? You think anybody might have picked on any of Jesus' little brothers or sisters? Talk to me in that ear right there. What are you getting at? I'm just asking you a funny question. What do you think happened if somebody started picking on Jesus' little brother or sister? I know. This is what Jesus did. Look, I'm going to pray about it. Father, (laughs) Brother Moses type of Jesus, you know that. He took that staff and chased those dudes out of town. Could you imagine getting clocked by the son of God? Can you see where I'm going? (laughs) My wife said I was crazy to even suggest that. Maybe there's a reason the Lord doesn't show you anything about his childhood. (laughs) Are you getting this? Brother Grady, again, I love you. You're so good. You're entertaining, but I'm struggling here. You're killing me, Smalls. Stay with me. Japheth's the older brother. You know what his job was? You know what the white man's destiny is from a spiritual perspective from Genesis 9 and 10? One, one responsibility. To get the gospel to his own people, Japheth, and to get the gospel to his two little brothers, Amen. Shem and Ham. That's why you have, preacher, I don't know how many missionaries you got here, they're all over the place. Anybody anybody home yet? You ever heard this before? It doesn't get any deeper than what I'm telling you. You say, what about the American Indians that got booted out of their teepees? Eh. I got a picture of Geronimo in my new book. Go look at it. When he was 79 years old, he got saved. He said, I'm in darkness. I've been looking for light. And he found it in Jesus Christ, he said. He went to the real happy hunting ground. Why? Well, here's the deal. Don't get mad about the Indians getting booted out of their teepees. All you teenagers, you following this? Why don't you finish reading Genesis 9, 27? God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. I preached at a Cherokee church in Cherokee, North Carolina the other day. It was wild. Praying in Cherokee. They all love the Lord tonight. They're all saved Indians. What about the slaves? I got you on the slaves. How can you justify slavery? You know, you're gonna hear this stuff, whether it's on the view or crazy old Winfrey, you're gonna hear this stuff twenty-four hours a day, more and more until we get out of here. And what are you gonna do about it? You're gonna be like every other Christian's folding, scared of everything? Hey, Connor, we're surrounded by Indians. Remember that joke? What you mean we white man? Remember that joke? That's what the verse says I preached on this morning. The time will come when they will what? Not endure sound doctrine. (laughs) What about the slaves? Hello, neighbor. The other day I was in Philadelphia. Years ago I was in Philadelphia at uh, Independence Hall. You know what Liberty Bell is? And uh, I'm in a bookstore, Pastor. And there's a a book there that says, "Poems, Poems by Phyllis Wheatley had a black lady's picture on the cover. I never heard of Phyllis Wheatley. Heard of Phyllis Diller. <laughs> never, heard of, <laughs> never heard of Phyllis Wheatley. I, I bought the book and went home and read it. You know what I found out? That's the first black poet, first black woman published as a poet in the United States. She was a slave in Boston. Her, her owner's name was Wheatley. A tail, he was a tailor. And, you know, in the 1760s is when she was purchased, right? Come over from Africa. Well, That terrible slave owner, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. He was so wicked, he and his wife taught Phyllis how to read and write, took her, took her to church all the time until she finally got saved. She got saved listening to George Whitfield preach. Then God gave her a gift to write poetry. You know what her most famous poem is called? It's her definitive poem. It's called On Coming from Africa to America. I don't mean that stupid Eddie Murphy movie. Anybody home? Hey, would you like to hear the poem? It's extremely politically incorrect. Huh? Ready? You're not going to hear it on Ophel Winfrey show. Well, how does it go? T'was mercy brought me from my pagan land. That's a pretty good start, isn't it? Hello? T'was mercy brought me from my pagan land. Taught my benighted soul to understand. That there's a God and a Savior too. Once I neither redemption sought nor knew. Some view our, sa- our sable race with scorn. Their color is a diabolical dye. Remember, Christians, Negroes black as Cain can be redeemed and join the angelic train. Her second most famous poem is about George Whitfield. She loved him to death because that was the man God used to get a born again. See, she was as crooked as a snake. God straightened her out. Where did he straighten her out? Here in America, not in Boogal Booga Land. Hello, anybody home? Okay, so here's the deal. In God's plan, He's going to send the gospel. He's going to enlarge Japheth. Okay, now you know what He did. He said He was going to enlarge Japheth in Genesis nine. You got that down, right? Okay. It didn't happen overnight. You know when it happened? It happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. Anybody ever remember reading the book of Daniel? Book of Daniel, you've got that image, right? Nebuchadnezzar's eating too many tacos. He wakes up in the middle of the night, all burned out. Tells tells the dream he had, nobody can interpret it. Daniel interprets it. Remember what Daniel says? Hey, this this man here represents four empires that are going to come in consecutive order, right? The first one is the golden head. That's you, Nebi. You're already here. Hey, Babylon, founded by a descendant of Nimrod, Part Ham, ultimately Asian, Shem, especially its location. Yes? Over in Babylon. Iraq. The next empire is going to be those silver arms. Two of them. Medes and the Persians. They're going to knock off the Babylonian empire. and We talked about that this morning. Remember? Cyrus over there in Isaiah is going to send the Jews home. That's the Persian empire. Iran. Hello. Ayatollah ministry. What is that? shem or listen shem or asia because asia is the area where shem populated correct you follow me ham goes to africa shem goes to the orient and japheth goes to europe you got that see this is this is nothing to do with anything it's just how the world developed and where we are right now and while we're going down a toilet bowl as i'm preaching to you now and it's almost over By the way, 99% of you are like this. I appreciate that. I do. You understand? I'm 70 stinking years old. I'm going every week 1,000 miles a week. I love to do it, glad to do it. I got enough energy, but it makes me feel so good to see people that I can tell are listening because I know you're getting it, but you ain't heard nothing yet. I'm about two feet from third base. We're going to curve, turn third and go to home, and then we're going to go party. How many of you are on your phones right now following that Cincinnati game? Talk to me. Be honest. I'm on. Come on. I see that hand over there. One back. Look at everybody looking around. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. So watch this now. Okay. The next one after the silver arms, ready, is the brass belly and, and stomach. What's that? That's Alexander the Great. That's the Greek Empire. You know what happens, and don't, don't turn to it for time, we're skipping stuff now. When you go to the uh, book of Daniel, chapter 8, you got that vision of that goat kills that two-horned ram, right? Remember the two arms? Medes and the Persians, here's a ram, two horns, right? And that one-horned goat comes in there. You, you probably know this from studying the Bible in the old days. That goat kills that ram. You know what that is? That's Alexander the Great defeating the, the Persian Empire over in Iraq. 331 B.C., the Battle of Gargamella. That's when the Greeks, i got a picture in a new book, a picture of a, painting of, a pa- painting of Alexander the Great in the temple in Jerusalem before this big battle, and, and, and the high priest shows him a scroll of Daniel, and it says, our God says, you're going to whip that dude. They showed him the verses. Alexander the Great walked out of the temple talking to himself, went out, and wiped out Darius. What happened? Well, that's the first time in history that prophecy is fulfilled. God shall enlarge Japan. Now a European power got control of the world at that time. He gets the the Greeks get eclipsed by the Roman Empire. Two legs. Two iron legs. Remember that? Hello, that's the Roman. More white people. <laughs> you understand? Get used to hearing it, white people. <laughs> <laughs> More white people. From that point on, the Europeans never turn around. j is now enlarged. Uh Uh-oh, but wait a minute. Don't you want to get out of here? I'm waiting for the upper taker, aren't you? Not the undertaker? Don't forget those ten toes. (laughs) Don't fall out of your pew when I tell you this. That's NATO. (laughs) Literally. That's the EU down there. And God's going to knock that whole creek, that whole statue over at the feet with a big stone. You ever read that? Okay, enough of all that. Okay, now watch this. When Japheth gets control of the world, by the the time Jesus shows up, first century, right? Japheth now is enlarged, isn't he? The descendant of Japheth got control of the world. But he's a pagan, isn't he? So guess what has to happen? Japheth has to get enlarged pardon me, he's already enlarged. Next step, he has to get enlightened or spiritually enlarged, if you will. He needs to hear the gospel, doesn't he? All right, turn over to Acts chapter 3. we We're about We're about halfway from third base to home plate now. Home plate is where this ends. Now you're going to see something that's beautiful, as beautiful as it can be. Turn to Acts chapter 3. Now look what happens here. Oh help me, Jesus! You're getting ready to see the first miracle. Oh, oh by the way, I almost forgot. I, I can't believe I forgot this. You want to hear a kowinkie dinky and a half? Would you like to take a guess on what the word Jepeth means? Your ancestor's name. Don't miss it. What was that hymn when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Remember that big old stars above uh, the manger guiding the shepherds. What's that Christmas hymn we referred to? Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. The name Japheth just happens to mean beautiful. Huh? Anybody reading Romans chapter 10? How what? How beautiful are the what? The feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Is that what you're doing every week in this church, trying? Well, what a quinky dinky. Would you like to see where the first miracle of the church age begins? Look at Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. That's when the lights went out. Anybody home? Mm -mm. Luke 23, 44. We read that tonight, didn't we? And a certain man, look, look, lame from his mother's womb. That's you and me. We're born crooked as snakes. We can't walk. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is (laughs) called what? Yeah, the first, the first miracle, those Jews require signs, don't they, miracles? Well, the first miracle they're going to see in a church age with Peter and John, a crippled man's going to get his feet restored to him. At what gate? He yeah, had a beautiful gate. Pay attention. God wants you to see stuff like that. That's him jumping off the page. Hello, anybody looking at this? Here we are, most of us, look. <laughs> and you miss all that stuff. Stay with me, neighbor. Okay. Now, when you get to Acts chapter 10, or pardon me, go to Acts chapter 9, here's where the Apostle Paul is going to get saved, right? Because he's going to be the main spokesman He's going to go after the Gentiles, isn't he? That's going to be his main call because the Jews have rejected the gospel. Remember we showed you the three different places? Well, here's the, God knows that's happening, and he's preparing Paul to go after the Gentile world because the Jews are going to get shut down, and they've, they've been on sidetrack. They've been on hold now for 2,000 years. So look over here at Acts chapter 9, and here's where Saul's going to get saved, Right? Verse 4, he fell to the earth, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, you know the story, we're not going to read it. Verse 6, and he trembling in astonishment said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee there what thou must do. Verse 8, and Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So they take him to a safe house. <laughs> they take him to a safe house, right? He was there three days, verse 9, without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. Now, the Lord's going to have to hook up somebody to go straighten out Saul. Going to have to get him, you know, get his sight restored to him. And he's going to, he's going to be a Baptist, so he's going to dunk him in, in water. Amen. And that guy's name is Ananias. He's at, a, he's at his own house. Saul is at a safe house somewhere else in Damascus. You're not going to believe where we're going. And no cheating. Don't read ahead. I don't trust you people. Verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in the vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord, here it comes, don't fall out of your seat and hit your head. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called what? (laughs) Hello, where's Paul at? He's He's in a house on Straight Street. Why? He's coming to straighten the whole Gentile world out. Aren't you glad that he got to our ancestors one day so you could get saved? But we're all crooked. And where is he? He's on Straight Street and inquiring the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. The guy that owns the house where Paul's hanging out is Judas. Why is that? Because he's Judas' replacement. Matthias, they picked him with lots they thought that was a cute idea. God wasn't within 100 miles of that deal. Matthias bombs out. You never hear him mentioned anywhere. Saul is the apostle Paul born out of due season. He's going to take Judas' place. Behold, he prayeth. Isn't that beautiful? And he have seen in the vision a man called Ananias coming in and putting his hands out. We'll skip all the rest of the verses. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, see it all. 18... And, uh, and immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received his sight for and a rose, and was baptized. And when he received, verse 19, meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Hello, look at it. Verse 20, and what? Straightway. He preached Christ in the synagogues, and off Paul goes to get the Gentiles straightened out. The Jews don't want to be straightened out, so he's going to go after the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Now, here comes comes the wildest part of the message. This is the absolute wildest thing I've got to share with you, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Turn over to, um, you go to Acts chapter 10. Turn to Acts page. As soon as Paul gets saved, he goes to Arabia. He goes down there for three years where God is revealing the gospel, the grace of God to Paul. So he starts talking about my gospel and, and, and all this insight that he lays out in Ephesians 2 about the church. But while he's there, Peter keeps on a preaching. And look what he does. You want to know where I tell Italian jokes? Acts 10.1, there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the, of the what? The band called the what? didn't say the Polack man. I've been asked, asked to tell Polack jokes at the book table by several people earlier today. Hey, it didn't say the Polack man. It said the Italian man. I got saved 49 years ago last month, August 25th, Marcus Hook Baptist Church, Sunday morning service, Clarence Larkin's home church. And don't you know the pastor was preaching on Acts chapter 10? The conversion of Cornelius. So I love this chapter. Now you know what happens when Cornelius gets saved at the end of this long chapter. He becomes he becomes watch the first Japhethite Gentile. How many kinds of Gentiles are there? Japheth, Shem and Ham, right? He's the first European that we know of to get saved. Ain't that beautiful? Excuse me, though. It's good, but it's not the best yet. Because he saved, hello, ready, in Caesarea, Palestine, Asia still. He's a European, saved where? In Asia. We're looking for the best we can come up with. Ready? Now here's where I'm going to give you the nuttiest thing, and this is pretty much toward the end of the message now. Turn to Acts 16. The Apostle Paul is is back from Arabia now. He's made a missionary journey. Now he's on his second missionary journey. You know where he is? He's in Asia, the land of Shem. They were called Christians first, where? Antioch, Antioch, Syria, right? Now, don't miss this. Remember the devil's water slide? Remember the Sea of Galilee up here? Jordan River, remember? Dead Sea? Look. Look to the left, what's out there? Mediterranean Sea, right? Go back to the Sea of Galilee, go due north, and leave Palestine. You go into Lebanon. Go north and hang a left, and you come start coming into Turkey. Look all this up later on your Bible maps. And Turkey juts out that way, okay? When you read Acts 16, verse 6, Paul is up in the northwest corner of Turkey. He's still in Asia, still reaching Shemites, Shemite Gentiles, Asian Gentiles. Get ready for a blessing now. It's not going to get any higher than where we're going right now. Look at verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Pergia and the region of Galatia, you know, the book of Galatians. Look, look at another hate crime, look. And were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. What do you mean hate crime? I'm just showing you how stupid the world can be. God said, I hate Asians, I guess, or I hate Chinese people, I don't know. No more preaching in Asia. See, it says it right there. God's a meanie, ain't he? Uh, because Paul's a Baptist, he's a little thick-headed. He's going to have to, God's going to have to smack him again. Verse 7. After they, after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia. All these places are where I just told you. Northwest edge of, of, of Turkey. But the Spirit suffered them not. Twice the Holy Spirit says, that's enough. I don't want any more Shemites. <laughs> that's That's how it looks to a silly person, doesn't it? Do you know what it says in the Greek? I'm being facetious now. You want to get a good insight here now? Only Bill Grady can put it this way. You know why the Lord stopped them twice? Because it's time to get the Polak saved. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. Time to get the Italians saved. The Germans. Hello, whatever you are. My mother's family's, my mother's parents are both from Finland. My dad's grandfather was born in Ireland, Grady, but his mother is a German, born in the Ukraine of all places. So I'm 50% Finnish, 25% Irish, and 25% Nazi. Say amen right now. All right, now watch verse 8. And they, passing by Messiah, came down to Troas. Look, down. They're up in the high ground. They're coming down to Troas. Now, where's Troas? Right on the coast. Right on the coastline of Turkey. What do you mean coastline? Well, you know what's out there? Another body of water called the Aegean Sea. Jason and the Argonauts, remember them crazy movies you grew up with? Hey, the guns of Navarone, the Aegean Sea, man, hundreds of Greek islands everywhere. That's what's right there. He's on the coastline. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come a man where? Macedonia? Alexander the Great's daddy, Philip of Macedon? We're talking about. Greece now, talking about Japheth, hello, talking about Europe, hello. Prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. You know who the them is? Your ancestors, neighbor. JPEP's enlarged, but he's but he's a pagan. He needs to get enlightened. So God's fixing to bring the gospel over to him right here. Preacher, even the Schofield note 120 years ago says here the gospel turns toward Europe. Even Schofield saw that. It's geography, man. It's just geography. But I'm trying to give you a spiritual connection to it so it makes sense to you. Okay, here it comes. Are you ready, neighbor? Do not pass out when you see the next verse. Therefore, loosing, see the nautical term? They got a boat tied up, per se. Loosing from Troas, we came with a, what's the next word? <laughs> yeah. Paul's fixing to straighten out those crooked Japhethites. <laughs> they come with a What? Straight, what's the next word? Course, second nautical term in that verse. They're crossing that ocean right now, coming to Europe. Look at it. To Samothracia, see that? Samothracia. And the next day, to Neapolis. Now, Samothracia is a Greek island halfway across that Aegean Sea. And then the next day, it says, Neapolis. What's that? Neapolis is the first city in Europe. It's on the coast, just like Troas was the last city from Asia, Turkey. Here's the entranceway into Europe. That city, Neapolis. It means new city. When Paul gets off the boat there with Luke and his team, look, and steps on shore, offshore, that's the first time he touches the ground that the gospel of the grace of God is hitting European soil. The land of Japheth. What do you think is going to happen three verses later? Hello, how about the first Japhethites going to be saved in Japheth? Ladies, God gave the honor to a woman, a businesswoman named Lydia. Hello, neighbor. Does anybody want to take a guess what Lydia means? <laughs> I'm telling you, preacher, nothing like coinky dinkies. That's what my wife calls a coincidence, a coinky dinky. Nothing like Dinky. Would you believe that the name Japheth, I mean the name Lydia, just happens to mean beautiful? I don't know. Maybe it's just a whole bunch of coincidences. Ain't that something? Okay. Watch this. Here it comes. Now, you remember everything comes in threes? Do you know what the goal is? That's the first time the gospel lands in Europe. You know where the goal is ultimately? The highlight of the whole missionary expansion ultimately is going to get that get over to Europe, I mean across the English Channel and get to London itself because this is the goal God has right here. Uh, do you know if you want to know what time it is you have to go to England? Do you know that? That's what time is set, Greenwich Mean Time. If you want to know where you are you have to go to England. All longitude and latitude is set in Greenwich, England. Hello? Can't even tell the correct temperature without BTUs. (laughs) You want to guess what the B stands for? Let me tell you what it doesn't stand for. It doesn't stand for Botswana or Beijing. British thermal units. Like I said, the Bible could be true. God said he would enlarge Japheth one day. So you ready for this? That's where we're going. See that verse there? He came with a straight course. Is that what it says? Can I give you three quick miracles? Because we're just about done. Would you like three quick miracles? This is the best stuff I have in the entire three, three sessions today right here. I preached this message in Hookset, New Hampshire the other night. A Navy man here, 28 years in the Navy, sitting on a second pew. And when I read that verse, <coughs> they came with a straight course. He almost jumped out of his seat. He said, Preacher, that's trajectory stuff. He went home and got his equipment out. And you know what he did? He drew a line from Troas. Look, Troas, we came with a straight course. Come right through Samothracia. Look, right over to Neapolis, right? He drew that line all the way across the globe. It goes right through London. This is where we're going. Excuse me. Samothracia, the Greek island. You know what that's famous for? There's an island on the island, there's a mountain. It's the highest mountain in the Aegean Sea among all the Greek islands. It's so big they use it for navigation. Straight course, right through Samothracea to Neapolis, and all the way ultimately to London. Look. Because this is where JPEF's enlargement is going to spread the gospel around the world when that book comes out. Take your phone later. And go on there and say Mount South, S-A-O-S. And if you'll look that up later, you're going to see something that you wouldn't believe unless you saw it with your own eyes. S-A-O-S, blah, blah, blah. Here it is. You look it up later. Mount M-O-U-N-T South. Here's a picture of it right here. You see right there in the white? It tells you how tall the mountain is. Meters, you see it? 1611. It's sixteen hundred eleven meters tall. Wikipedia will tell you that. Say, <laughs> so what is that? I don't know. If you're not, a, if you're not all hooked up on Facebook and your brain's burned out, that'll excite somebody. Sixteen hundred eleven meters tall. What a kewinky dinky! Oh, and by the way, and the next day we came to Neapolis. Is that how the verse ends? I saw this the other day. I didn't, I didn't even believe it. By the way, the preacher gave me a time limit tonight, and I'm 10 minutes short of the time limit. I'm doing good. I'm just about done. I can't believe how good I'm doing. Are you listening, neighbor? Check it out. And the next day, we landed in Neapolis. You ready for this? That word day right there in that verse? That's the 1,611th time the word day shows up in your King James Bible. Ain't that, ain't that interesting? We got two dinkies there. 1,611 meters tall. 1,611th usage of the word day, not to mention the straight course that runs all the way directly into London. But listen, maybe somebody needs something else. Look. All right, we're done just about. Let's make a deal. I'm going to show you the last nugget right here in the verse, and then we're pretty much done. Ready? And all you got to do is look excited. Okay? If you look excited, we'll shut her down. Go home, okay? How many think you can look excited? Raise your hand. <laughs> don't mind me. I don't. You think I do this in every church? I do this where I feel a lot of liberty and have feel feel good. That's what James Brown said when he got out of jail. <laughs> okay, May, maybe you need one more. Maybe you need one more kinkie co- dinky, right? Ready? Hey, this is the goal right here. I said the whole purpose of today was to magnify this book. Is that what I said? Why don't you tell me what reference we're at? What's the scripture address? Acts what? What's the verse? Thank you very much. Elvis has left the building. Look. Come on. Start screaming. I'm looking for excitement. Don't you want to go home? I hope you get that. You know what? From now on, God's going to get the gospel all the way over to Europe. And Japheth's now enlarged. And he's enlightened. But you know what? The Roman government will squash them, and then the cap—the Roman church will squash the, ch- the church, right? And, and the, the gospel will be squashed all those years. But by the time you get over to America, the man right down the road, Andrew Tribble, Thomas Jefferson's Baptist preacher, Powell. And the, and the and the Baptist preachers will get the Bill of Rights through, and in 1791 the paperwork will be signed in a place called Philadelphia, and the Great Philadelphia Church Age is now going to open up, and J.Peth's going to be able to go and get the message out, and, and won't be suppressed anymore, and now J.Peth's going to be enabled, and enlarged, enlightened, finally enabled, and the and that's why you got all your missionaries tonight, but the only problem is we're in la la land, crazy land now. We're at the end of Japheth now. Look here. And you you get to see it in living color. So the bottom line is, I'm done with this. I got one Bible verse to read and I'm done. Done early. Done early. Preacher said go to seven if I need to. I'm done now at ten of with one Bible verse. You ready, neighbor? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to slug it out with your preacher now. Take what you heard in the morning service. We can't change anything. It's negative now. It's going down. The time will come when they won't endure. You can't change that. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to keep going forward, even though you can't change things on a big scale anymore. And I'll leave you with one quote. What we're going to do is, we got to end where we started this morning, straighten up and fly right, until one day we experience that hymn, I'll fly away. And in the meantime, keep the words of the Apostle Paul in your heart. I end my message with these words Philippians chapter two verse fifteen that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You know why we hold our Bibles up in the air when we sing hold the forth? Holding forth the word of life. Hang in there, people. You're a good church. Your preacher's a great man. I've known him all these years. Has a great reputation. Faithful people here. Don't get discouraged. Keep on swinging that sword for the Lord. He's coming to get us pretty soon. Preacher, would you come?